ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Hey everybody, we have a special in-house episode. You all had know that we've had Mike Co on before, but we got Mark Waxendorfer Wax from uh, former Team Honda rider. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming and sitting down with us. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you back. And we also have Danny Duncan, my dad here also. Um, we want to talk history. And you were just telling us before I hit record about the first thriller that you rode. Would you mind telling us that again? Well, I can say it was after a motocross race. I raced a 125 uh, TS Suzuki. And uh, anyway, coming home, I stopped and a friend had an ATC 70 and rode it after the event. And uh, liked it so much, I went and bought one the following Monday morning. So your first ride was on an ATC 70. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you before you got on a 90? I don't recall that. I just know I bought a US 90 though, used out of Spring Valley, had the balloon rubber tires on it. Right. Old round fenders. It was lime green, I think it was. Did you do a lot of racing? Uh, did you race motorcycles before you got into the three wheelers? It was that's what I was motocross. Yeah, motocross. No AMA District Thirty Eight stuff. CMC Carlsbad, just local. Right. Was your specialty in motocross, or was it desert? Motocross. On the motorcycles. On a motorcycle, yeah. And only thing I knew about desert was. Gentleman named John Gregory was a pharmacist in Benita, and uh, he had the hookup to the European motocross people, DeCoster and Robert and Hickey McCuller and those guys. And uh, but he'd go to the desert on weekends and race his 400 Husky, and uh, I'd tag along, you know, and hang out with him because I worked at the Yamaha shop in National City at the time, and. Uh, Bill Tucer, the guy that owned the Yamaha shop, was friends with him. And so him and John Gregory would go to the desert. And that's when they had, uh, right before on any Sunday or something, right when they were running the big four strokes out in the desert. Anyway, John Gregory turned out to own JT Racing, which is an apparel. Okay. turned out to be a pretty big company. Okay. And uh, John Gregory actually got my first pair of leather pants for me, too. Uh, and my motorcycle pants. Real leather pants. Real leather. Yeah, they didn't have nylons in there. Right. Whatever we right. use now. Plastic cups and things. Yeah, well, it's not. They call them leathers. Put your leathers on. Right. They're, just they're not leathers in any way, shape, or form. Gear, right. <laughs> yeah. I, um, Lauren had a pair of leathers. 
I don't think I ever had a pair of leathers back in the old, uh, you know, in the seventies, you know, uh, when he was racing XR 75s, you know, and then it's transitioned for, I guess, just a few years later into the nylon pains. But we didn't, we didn't come here to talk about nylon pants. We came here to talk about ATVs and, and motorcycles. Like Mike, you got your start in motorcycles. And, yep. And in the 60s and the 70s? 70s. Early 70s? Yeah, I guess it'd be the late 60s, too. I didn't take them like that, but yeah. I was 14, 13 or 14 when I started work at the Yamaha shop. We sold uh, Norton's DSA or Triumphs, Norton's and Cotton Trials bikes in Yamaha. Were you familiar with that that shop then? The in National City was right on the edge. Uh, of the I think I, I knew of it, but anyway, that's yeah. Bruce Parker worked there. He was a service rider, and I was a bike assembler, gopher in the back, and put them together. And of course, like everything, you go parts department and in service and. It, it seems like most of the riders uh, had worked at different shops because Nicholson worked for me at uh, Valley for a short time. Nick Nicholson? Nick, yeah, and the, building the frames. In fact, he, I was racing a Montessa, and he uh, built a pipe for it and uh, improved it immensely. And so how many – you guys know – Everybody in the early era of ATVs in Southern California, I'm assuming. Pretty well, probably most of them anyway. Yeah, I know Mark and, and Nick are really good friends. We used to go back except from the beginning. Of, we actually go to those uh, Wednesday Oklahoma car shows things, and Nick's got a bunch of cool hot rods that he's put together. And Mark gave me a ride in one last Wednesday or the Wednesday. Yeah, I get to exercise in for him. Oh, nice, nice. It's got a heavy-powered rat ride, but it's really, really neat. I was looking at your Model A license plate frame. I just bought a 28 Model A pickup truck from him. It's a 29 up there. but Dad's got a 29. When we're all done here, we'll show you some pictures because right here was the 29 staging area uh, for putting it all together, getting it all you so, know, piled up so that we could uh, get the final assembly done. Original type style. Uh, original. Uh, Car keys all pointing the right direction. Original. No, no, I, I did not build it for show. It's for function. I I done all of the uh, the stuff you're supposed to, and uh, but I got electronic ignition on it and to make it easy for modern driving. Yes. Got rid of Babbitt bearings in? No, no, no. I have I have some insert engines out in the garage. Uh, <clears throat> when uh, back in 2004, my brother was a Model A f- <laughs> fanatic, and uh, he, he got uh, cancer and died. And I bought all of his Model A stuff and became a Model A enthusiast and. I grew up as a real youngster around waterways and restorations and still have a four brand new champion spark plugs with board scripts sealed in Cosmoline and original box. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I keep them in my uh, China cabinet at home, you know. Yeah, I've got some old original used ones. Right, right. <laughs> well, we had a set of eight. Four went in the car and I asked my dad for the other four and so I still have them. 
Because Mark's got a treasure trove of just cool, unbelievable stuff in his garage. That's awesome. It is awesome. It's really cool. that, 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 the, the, the things that, you know, guys from my era that make us smile, you know, you don't get that many people anymore that really understand the value and how cool some of this stuff is that, you know, like a spark plug, how, I mean, in the package, original like that. How cool is that? Right. And you, how many are you going to see? Not too many anymore. I mean, if yeah. you're in an air museum quality or something, it's like the mirror with a clock in it and a, a quail uh, wings, you know, for the thermometer on the, there's new original ones in the showcase too. It went, cause this is in the sixties, you know, and things right. were easier to get original. Mm-hmm. And now everything pre-produced. Uh, yeah, and, it, and they don't and they don't make it near as near the quality. It, it's not heavy. It no. doesn't have the same feel, you know. So you probably notice instantly the, the remakes versus the originals. That's so cool. Mark gave me a quick tour of his garage, man. It's like totally Vince from Hank. Like it was like he would nod for a week in there. <laughs> You're you're all oohing and on about everything, huh? Yeah, I mean, well, we all do go to somebody else's house. Yeah, yeah. right. His, right. his treasure trove is you know, way up there, especially compared to mine. I really got mine. Well, we're speaking about three wheeler stuff. So. Do you do you have some of the original three wheeler stuff still? Mm-hmm. So, as far as memorabilia from Honda time, you still have some of that as well. Yes, I do. Really? That's so cool. I got posters, stickers, shirts, flags, you know, just, I collected it all. You know, well, what I thought was all. Were you always a collector at it from a young age? No, hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> well, hoarder, collector, I mean, fine line, right? No, I don't know. I do the same thing with Volkswagen stuff, too. Really? That's how I bought my first house, was buying and selling, making Baja rugs. When Bill Silverthorne owned uh, one of the Bill Suzuki. Yep. And uh, the off road shop across the street. You go out and buy your fiberglass fenders and Bill Steam socks and bumpers and come home and hack a 67 apart and make a Baja mug out. What we call the Baja mug, didn't we? Little off road shit or stuff. <laughs> That's okay. It's funny the similarities that. It's a recessive genes or whatever it might be because I too was heavily into Volkswagens when I was younger. You know, all that stuff, Baja bugs. And I was in an industrial plastics class in high school. I was going to get into plastics business. You know, I was just a teenager and I was making Baja bug kits for molds. We had a chopper gun and we were laying those things up and everybody was knocking them off back then. And I was making fiberglass sailboats off of <laughs> metal hulls and, uh, junior high school that I didn't like the uh, fiberglass or the wood boat so I made my own plug and my own boat and you know just things you do yeah we've lost so much of the ingenuity because in school they didn't teach some of that stuff when I went to the high school you know we went to the same high school and and, and it was already phased out you know I know he got to teach at LCAP uh, for a while in small engines uh, but some of the programs we just we've lost so much ability to build cool things. And like shop teacher in junior high, let me ride my mini bike to school and park it in metal shop so I didn't have to ride the bus. You remember they used to let me ride my three wheels? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
if I was riding a Taco Minis like them, I had my freeway, I could ride it from my house up the San Diego Riverbed right to El Cap, underneath the 67 Bridge, all legal back then. Yeah, I, 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 I lived in the Long Beach area when I was a teenager, and me and the guy that's about half again as big as me, he had a doodle bug, and we went everywhere on that doodle bug, which was just a little scooter. Little, little scooter. I mean, the two of us barely got on the on the uh, the seat, and we went everywhere on that thing. Mm-hmm. And if we ran out of gas a couple of times, and we just hitchhike with it, somebody in a pickup and stop, throw in the back. That back when you could get away with that. Yeah. There's no license on it, no lights, no stoplights, no nothing. But yeah, Mike and I was telling him tonight about on the little 70. We take a 67 Volkswagen backup light, and they were a separate light. And that's what I put on the front of my ATC 70. And we night, you know, rode at night all the time, like up Bowtie Mountains. And we could go everywhere from the house. So, And back when you could. Because right. now... You you can't you can't, no. yeah you can't do any of this stuff. Yeah, scroll right all the way to the board well, from you know. We bought out. this house because it was so much open thing, and I was racing, and I thought this would be bitching practice area, you know. Mm-hmm. And turns out the guy, the the only guy that lived in the the middle of everything was anti motorcycles. So mm-hmm. him and I went round and round about me riding on his property with. You had a two-stroke with a noisy pipe or a four-stroke? Uh, combination. I had the, the Triumph. I had a Montessa, Jawas. Bull taco. And I never got a bull Bulltaco. taco. Sax? Yeah, I got a sax. Still, got, a sax. still got the frame. <laughs> I don't know what, whatever happened to the engine out of it, but... We used to say sax and Fenton made a tin, ride them out and push them in. <laughs> 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 you know, the, the history that you guys are talking about, is just, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, it's like BSA bastard stopped again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and back in the early 70s, uh, the slogan was less sound, more ground. And it was they take the DB for the sound, you know, right. this little, and then the B sideways for greater than or less than, or less than uh, DBs and more ground. I still have a little Yamaha teardrop from... Well, I guess it'd be 72, 73. Nice. So I guess those are 74. So, so as you rolled through getting a, a little older, how did you get into three-wheeler racing? I had an incident. I worked at the Yamaha shop in the parts department. Anyway, I had an incident where I didn't do something properly. Which was a good lifelong lesson. Um, in any event, I was relieved of my job, and that was on a Wednesday. And that night, it's a Wednesday motocross race at South Bay Speedway. I hurt my knee, and I just couldn't ever really get on a motorcycle again without hurting my knee. But I rode my three wheeler and had no problems. I don't believe in weird stuff, but that's the way it worked for me. And um, so that's kind of how it happened. I just parked the bike and started riding the three wheeler. And then you would race at 117, uh, and would you, did you take it to District 38s as well? Took it everywhere we could find a race. We'd race, what, four times a week? Wednesday night here, Thursday night in Corona, Friday night in Ventura, and then Sunday, wherever the Sunday race was. 
they had some Indian dunes in front of oh, They were Indian dunes, they were 24th Street, they were at, down at the border at 905, they called it the Fiesta de la Luna race, um, race at Poway, AMA Motocross, and then up in uh, Miramar, off the yeah. 805 up there, up past Governor Drive, they had motocross races out there too, in AMA districts. So. And this is year range... 74 era? Well, yeah, 74 to 76, probably. Really? That was when they were just building the 805. Yeah, I don't even know if it was built yet. Once they got the 805 in that racetrack up in nearby, I had a handmade Rob Norris frame 125 Noguchi engine. It's Yamaha with hot rod parts on it. And uh, that's what I was racing up there. Doing earth. And sheet metal swing arm disc brakes, you know, before they were even a production item. Nice. It's very lucky there. Ford Ring and his father brought Rob North over from England. And we all know what Rob North is. Well, maybe we don't, but he's an awesome fabricator. Yeah. You know him, Dad? I know. Well, I'm in his shop one time, but uh, I know the work that he done. Yes, he still hand makes frames for. Back three, uh, three boards in Europe right now, road race cars, sidecars. You don't call them three boards or sidecars. Hey, so he's still alive. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so how old, how, how old was he when, when he built that frame for you? Gosh, I don't know. He's a, just a few years older than I am, maybe. I don't know. Oh, so he was young. So he was a quality fabricator at a young age. Oh, yeah. He, when he came to the United States, he was a world-renowned uh, chassis builder. You read old magazines, even modern magazines, whatever they're called, these motorcycle deals now, and every once in a while it pops up a Rob Morris frame or yeah. Rob Morris this. I mean, he built all our gas tanks for us at Honda. Oh, nice. We're on the 85, the 200X, the 350X. I'd take him down to Rob and come back with a Big handmade factory looking cast tank. And you couldn't tell that it wasn't, that it wasn't, uh, no, they that, weren't homemade with them by any means. Oh, they're still it. not. I mean, the work this guy does is unbelievable. So he does airplane work now. Well, yeah, that's where all the real money is, right? You know, he works at EAA, uh, anyway, uh, Experimental Aircraft Association or something in Brownfield, down right by where we used to race our bikes at night. Right. That's crazy. That is just, I never heard, uh, I'd probably heard the name, but I didn't associate it. He had a Lincoln Mark, whatever it was at that point in time, Continental. And I borrowed it from him to go to my prom in high school. Even though I came from a family with lots of automobiles, for some reason I borrowed his car. You You don't want to borrow your family stuff. Right, right. That's pretty awesome. So you raced that Yamaha or that custom machine right, yeah. in, until 74 five, maybe 76. Okay. What, what transitioned after that? And when did, when did you two guys? For some market, 117 racing down there. I was racing the smaller displacement classes, 132. They had a, you know, kind of classes were separated by displacement. Right. And they, at South Bay, I think they had three segmented classes and the real fast guys raced in the open class, which was Mark was at, and I was racing in the 132 class. 
Speaking of the 132 class, tell me what 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 you thought of the 132 class. You couldn't check it for displacement unless you pulled it apart. Well, and so mainly it was, I think, on the honor system. I know that uh, one thing Sam was above all else is not cheating. Yeah, but there were so many guys that stretched that. Yeah, possible. I don't know that it even mattered. We'd they say, here, take our bike and we'll ride yours. Yeah. yeah well, I have one race in, in mind where uh, my uh, my rider broke the good engine, supposedly, and I came home and put the 125 top end on it, and he thought it was faster than the one that he just got off of. And I never did tell him the difference. Uh, and he ran second to a half a Yamaha, whoever was uh, running, uh, where they had slimmed down a twin and made it into a a single with the, with all that. Was that I don't know. I've never heard of anybody trimming one of those down. Well, it, it, I'm not saying it wasn't. It, 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 it was uh, extremely fast. And uh, uh, in fact, I don't remember ever looking at it. It's just so uh, I was told that it was uh, uh, half of a twin. Maybe it was just the top end off of the oh, twin. Yeah, but anyway, it was extremely fast. And then uh, he ran second to it on this, uh, what I thought was just a warmed up stalker. And he just <laughs> made it run that day. Well, number Ace, to me, the, my first memories of any tri models was Ace was of course, it was a two-stroke, so it was lighter, and, and they were quick, but initially they didn't handle very good, so <laughs> that's why uh, you know, they were fairly competitive. We usually get a whole shot, but then, then a few turns, you probably get around it. And for me, I just rode my three-wheelers. There was, I guess, a period of 76 to 80 or something when the 250s first came out, but um, I just was riding mine in the canyon. I'd see Dean out riding, and we'd just, there were little tracks, and you just start dogging each other, riding them. And a friend of mine showed up with a 132 when they were just first making them. Big Al at Honor the Road, I think, was building. And I rode it, and it's like, wow, this is a lot of power. This yeah. is cool. <laughs> you know, didn't know any better, any different. It's just kept on riding my 90 or whatever it was. That's right. At the time, 90. Yeah. I used to start. Off what they call South Bay Freeway or the 54 in the Spring Valley end, and you could ride all the way to National City. And I'd just pick two or three cars on the freeway and try to get all the way through the dirt hills down to National City and beat the cars. That was just <laughs> something I did just for myself, you know. I couldn't just having fun, and then it turned out we'd go off road races. And same thing, you know. Right. Great place to learn to ride. You know, this came where awesome. I grew up. In Spring Valley, not too far from uh, Mountain Dale High School, but there was a whole strip of dirt that paralleled this big creek, and I think it's Hamishaw Boulevard. And I only had to push my bike across one or two roads, and 
from there was down past Okai Reservoirs and just farmer's fields. You could sneak right all the way to the border. To the border, yep. And back then, you could probably go across the border and nobody would have cared. Probably. You know? Yeah. Probably. It's something else that happened for me to, to get hooked up with the three wheelers. We were racing our little 90s or 180s and whatever, the modified two wheelers. Um, they had a bob and a thousand one year. My dad went down, I stayed home. And that's the year Honda came out with the 250 ATCs. And they had two of them, I think, that rode down. It took them 13 or 18 hours to get from Ensenada to uh, San Felipe. But one of them seized up or broke, and my dad happened to pick it up halfway down to San Felipe. And uh, so that was kind of interesting. Here, my dad picks a broken 253 roller up, brand new in the United States, three of them. And uh, brings it home, and yet I love three rollers, and I'm riding mine. Had no idea what was happening there. And a couple of weeks after that, uh, we got a call because I knew that the lady that owned Holiday Honda in Chula Vista, she introduced me to one of the sales reps, Spencer Sato, and he in turn got my name to Honda, along with a couple others. Anyway, they came down. We had a two day race at South Bay Speedway, and that's when Honda showed up with these unmarked vans and the 253 rollers. So it was kind of interesting. And shortly after that, what I started to say is they had the three of them do an exhibition at the Supercross race at uh, whatever the stadium is in Mission Valley. And uh, so we got to, you know, ride the three wheelers down there. It's kind of neat how it all ties together. That is, that is pretty awesome. So that was your introduction to American Honda? Yes, through the Holiday Honda motorcycle dealership. Because I'd go there after work every day and hang out with my friends. And so one thing led to another, and that was the connection. And then what was it? Three Wheeler Magazine got involved, and we rode the Mexicali 250, and then the Parker 400. And then after that, it was on. We were factory riders and got paid to do what we did. If you think back on it now, getting paid to race three Oh, I would have paid them. <laughs> No doubt about that. I mean, that's how much you loved it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, look at all we were doing on our own, too. You know? Right. And how we could afford it then and we couldn't uh, now, or like that. It's interesting. I mean, what you do, you just, it didn't matter. We were one racing. Right. You just figure it out. You just do it. But, but you also had the ingenuity of being able to work on it yourself to a point. You know, so you were doing a lot of the work yourself instead of, well, instead of farming it up. exception of machining or, you know, making the chassis, that's for for me, Nick Nicholson come in, you know, what we were riding in the early days. I just really stopped things. And they broke and they were sheet metal. (laughs) Oh, in the 90s, um, Sam actually started doing that. He he was working for Johnson's Love Machine. He designed that Bandito thing because he had... Nicholson made some great frames, and Dean uh, he went with Dixon. He had a Dixon frame, and uh, one of your other three frames around was the Bandito, the Nicholson, and uh, Dixon. Yeah, I remember that the that frame deal was a, a big thing when I was a kid because you would see them, and everybody would just be like, "Wow!" You know, uh, I mean, I remember how excited we used to get over the ninety one tens. And then you look at what we ride now, and it's it, unbelievable, unbelievable transition. 
the evolution was really quick. Like I said, we, you know, from 70 to 90, 110 to 180. And then Sam actually built a couple over 200 cc's from the 110 starting. Then he came out with the 250. It was, it was almost useless because all that power, you had to start almost in fourth gear to save the gearbox. Or you babied it to get it going before you could just get on the power. Well, maybe that one was just for Sam being shooting the hill. Uh, well, it was, I think it's bragging rights. Some, yeah, that's you know, once, I, once we saw that 250R, then all bets were off. Yeah. There's another good story. When we went to Parker the first time on Hot New Buggy BW Magazine Seal, we had a prototype and that we pre-ran on. Anyway, long story short, we wrote, I rode it the last 20 some miles on two wheels because we had a flat tire getting in when we were pre-running in Parker. But we ended up trying to hide the thing in our hotel. But well, we didn't, we're in a hotel. We were in a trailer on the river. And uh, so I was keeping the thing hidden after pre-run because I wanted to take it to Glamis. Nobody had seen these things before except it one night at the stadium, you know. Right. And uh, it was going to be the coolest thing in the world taking, you know, one of these 250s to the Lamas. To sand dunes. And we stopped there on the way home from Parker. Went out through the dunes. Typical first ride, 200 yards, 300 yards, and the axle broke. Because <laughs> I fatigued it riding on one wheel. All day. <laughs> and, and they came down and they weren't skinny yet. They were solid or something. They didn't take it. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. So. I didn't get it even enjoy the dune ride. No, nope, Trying to get excited about it. I mean, we pulled it off, but then, you know, we got timed out how were the uh how were the honda guys with you when you guys did some of that stuff well in this case they weren't i was had the thing in my van by myself just coming home from the races the parker race right and uh, so they didn't care about an old pre-runner pre-production bike we had to destroy it anyway so that brings me to a conversation that uh, Mike and I have had, and a couple other people have had. Do you remember the 500 three wheeler? Which one? The old, well, I only know of one. So the Japanese one that Honda made. Yes, I've seen it. Did you ever get to ride it? Nope, never heard it run either. Just looked at it. I think so. Yeah. Well, well yes. Did you? It's four years ago. No, I've never seen. I uh, seen parts. It was in special projects. Yeah, there was a room inside a room inside a building, and was a room inside of that. It's where they kept undisclosed things. So if you were able to get in there, you get to see all kinds of stuff. Really, and you got to see some pretty cool things. I'm I'm assuming, and and you ask which five hundred. What was what was the other five hundred that I'm not? There was a, the four fifties. Uh, this poster I went at. I was reading today. I found in the garage before I came over here. Um, it said I was riding the four eighty at Riverside, but actually I think I was riding the early version of the three hundred pop up kit. It was the open no yeah the open class. Ian was on the two fifty. Number four eighty. He wrote it, but it's anyway. It said I was on the 480, but whatever. Um, you you rode the 480, yeah, and it was screaming fast, huh? Really fast, way faster than you needed to go on a three wheeler. No, no, <laughs> just vibrators. It didn't even vibrate that much. 
I mean, the library is more than 250 kilograms, but the way Sam, he had some engineering knowledge from some other people because, you know, without that counterbalance, you could feel like you put a 500 motorcycle engine, like right. you know, four wheels, a flywheel weight, two crankshaft weight, James would help change a little bit. The way the chassis is mounted too, like external weight spin versus narrow weights and stuff, most motorcycle chassis go under the motor, so you go clutch and fly around with most three-wheel rings. The engine was inboard at the chassis, so there were some harmonic things that were going on in there, too. So, again, that 480 was, that I had was on an 82 chassis. And, uh, yeah, amazingly, I think I think not that at all. I didn't shake it apart, never broke any bells, nothing. And then we got the XR500 engines we put in the block goes for did you guys did that for Honda? No. Or you we did, did that after? We did it for ourselves or for Nicholson Racing Products. And uh, we just got to ride them and test them. And we, I mean, we built and we rode it and beat it up. And was that a project after you were done with Honda? Or was that we'll be during the middle of Honda? During the middle of Honda. Mm-hmm. They didn't mind that you did things like that? Or they just no. didn't know? No, no, it was. I think they wanted it. They wanted to promote it. I mean, even Mickey Dunlap was building custom stuff. And they were behind me when I built a 200 two stroke, too. Mm-hmm. Special little Komali frame, and Bruce Parker did most of the machining and crankshaft work and cylinder bore on it. Again, I think Stan Zinn was involved in some of the piston selections for that. And um, then it went to Rob Selby. And he did the port work and cylinder head and pipes on those pipes to the pipe port. It worked extremely well at like saddlebacks and those big tracks. You just go out and tear up your 200 X's. Well, it's a two stroke, yeah. I mean. Well, yeah, but still, they, they, Curtis had them running really good, though, four stroke. Right. But even then, the AMA rule was double the displacement. So that's why I think it caused a lot of havoc was the fact that it was equal displacement. So it was kind of unfair for the four strokes. But yeah, I mean, for the most part at that time, Curtis and some of those the four strokes, you could see how good they were to, to hang with the two cycle at the same time. Well, we made some 125 those ASAC yeah. motors too. Well, Tommy wrote a 125. Sam built the chassis in the room. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we have to monkey around with all kinds. Yeah, Honda was really wanted to expand as much as they could to cover as many classes as they could because racing was, like Mark said, we could race almost every and, week. And you guys helped them do a bunch of that development. We like, just did it for ourselves. Yeah, it was, and it we were the development. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, what I mean is, is they were benefiting on all the stuff that you guys were doing. Yes and no, but not really because... When it was all said and done, and we had meetings when Kawasaki came along, um, and they had the engineers come over from Japan that we had translators and couldn't understand. And several uh, year or so, year and a quarter, half or whatever, then they come out with the 85, 250, you know, work six-speed tranny, all the good suspension, and that was all a derivative of roundtable talking, you know, to beat Kawasaki or Yamaha or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's 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 pretty cool though, really. You know that you get that you get all that development on that. Going back to that five hundred, do you think that if there wouldn't have been the law change, that that five hundred three wheeler would have came out? That who knows? 
hard to say, you know, because we don't have the big picture. We have the exciting part of, you know, oh, yeah, cool, neat, but, you know, what's the real big picture for them? You know, I don't know. Yeah, because I was under the impression that they had production parts already made. I don't know about something like that. Or, you, know, you know, we got uh, 250R air-cooled frame parts kits that we ordered from Japan. All the little components before the frame was put together. They come over stacked up all, you know, tie us little nice. Tabs and brackets and then the whole, whole frame in pieces. Oh, that's so cool. Unpainted. Oh, so you could put it together and change It'll it? Use whatever little gusset or bracket or so it looked 100% factory when it was, you know, we weren't trying to disguise anything. It's just the way it was. Filling them neat with factory parts. You have the option to use them now or get it. And now, yeah, you, can, you couldn't get your hands on that stuff nowadays. You save your life. No, and there was, a, when we first went to Honda, me and Dean and Ace, Bob Williams, I mean, right when the program first started, um, Went and tested the road in the parking lot at 253 and they had this factory Japanese two-stroke pipe or a pipe on expansion chamber. And that was the bomb pipe I kept up. I got, fortunately, I got that, you know, have uh, control of it. And I used that thing in a lot of races and it just made awesome horsepower. There's even the Dave Carter pipes wouldn't match it. I mean, it, it was a stamped pipe too. Really? But most of those Carter pipes are pretty nice. What year was that? Would have been the '82 first ones, first yeah, the first first ones. I think mm-hmm. it's probably worth a little bit or something. But it was it was one of those oh, yeah. one, like we had a skid pan that was made out of white Teflon or nylon stuff. It mimicked a stock one, you know, just unattainable. But back then too, the CR top ends would interchange with them. You yep. get the CR cell. So you could put a chrome line so Built on. down there, like got the advanced cording, big exhaust port. Were you around when, um, who's, all right, your guy that used to work with you, it was our guy, a motocross guy, your pipe guy. Turner. Uh, Turner. Paul Turner. When he did those tests on 45 or 50 cylinders. No, I wasn't around then, and I'm not even sure if we were affiliated with Paul then. Paul Turner, there we go, yes. Yeah, Lauren met Paul in 87. Was it 87? Yeah, it was 87. Yeah, it was 87. Well, it was through Marty. No, it was 86. They met Marty, and then that's how he got to Paul, was through Marty, um, and Lauren and Paul worked together in in. 87. There's another three-wheeler story to go along with Saddleback. Um, I don't know if it was 82 or 83, but anyway, we were racing at Saddleback. Um, and we went up to the motocross shop, and we were able to go up there and get titanium bolts and fasteners from the race team. We thought we were, you know, trick. We got a neat bolt and nut on our bike or whatever. But anyway, uh, so we loaned it. We, a couple of the riders, along the two motocross mechanics, uh, Steve Carter and uh, Jimmy, or Ricky Johnson's mechanic, Brian Hines, or Haynes, what was it? Lunas. Lunas, thank you. I'm sorry, I hadn't even thought of these names for years. But anyway, uh, we gave each of those guys a three-wheeler, and they took them and hot-rodded them or whatever, and showed up at Saddleback for a, a race. And we're just going, okay, cool, you know, here's the mechanics, they got a bike. 
they blew us a new door on the starting line and going around. I mean, they left us. They were gone. They had these things running so good. And, of course, you get into the rough and, you know, you, you go around them because they weren't riders. They were mechanics. But right. the stuff they did with this bike, you know, in a week's time was amazing. Well, you, and, uh, they took some of the knowledge they had from the motorcycles and dumped right, it right into the three They were still real identical, similar. Interchangeable. Yeah. And stuff. And it was quite interesting. The factory uh, experience was pretty awesome. I don't know why. It's, I think it was in 85 when it came out, the 85 three-wheeler. Only one year, I think it was 84, CR cylinder would actually bolt on. Because beyond that, they would change the bolt pattern just a small amount, so you couldn't interchange the CR parts anymore. Yeah, I wonder why they stopped that. That's what I'm saying, because most motorcycle men, Honda included, prior, you could swap either you know, Kawasaki and Yamaha, you could put the you know, more uh, high-performance items, you bolt right on. Yeah, yeah I know. deviated for some reason at that point. Yeah, who knows why? Probably a bean counter got involved in there somewhere and, and, and screwed it all up like most things, you know. Um, you would know more as far as the continuation. So I, I'm up to date as far as like 89, I think, is the last Honda Quad. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, uh, and there's a CR cylinder that they would modify okay, and take, modify the pow- cylinder, take the pow- right? power valve out of it yeah. and put that. HPP. Yep, the HPP yeah. cylinder. Because... Before that, I, in my 85, uh, 84, which also had that air chamber, I forget what they called that. Oh, that, yes. I ran that, and that was like the only one that would still bolt on the three-wheeler lower end. But it was power bomb or something. It was just a chamber, I forget. It wasn't a valve, nothing mechanical, not much. Yeah, the HPPs had a mechanical valve in there. And what they would do is they would build machine plugs to put them right. in there. You've made some of those plugs. And they put those plugs in there. And run those cylinders because they the port timing and the casting would allow itself to make more power. Going with Paul Turner, he had a, had Honda or had a, in Japan make that cylinder with the extra big transfer ports on it and then had it nickel or chrome plated. Right. So we had that chrome liner cylinder. He made a lot of horsepower, but there was something in the exhaust port that was monkeyed up and would catch the rings on the thing. So they never really they never got out. to fin- they never got to finish it. Well, we raced them, and uh, it did be junk to the race sometimes. Right. Way junk. But I think the hard-coding process has gotten so much better. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, they just... Uh, my brother builds uh, his own cylinder now for the 89, well, the 250R, and uh, it uh, it's nixed the hard-coding, and it was designed that way. It's got a power valve in it. And mm-hmm. So... You use a cast iron ring for the wear item um, on the chrome or It's just the regular rings that you know, I believe they're cast iron. Yeah, aren't they, they good? have to be the rings. Yeah, you can't use the chrome. Use the chrome rings on a cast I iron. Don't know that. Mm-hmm. One of them has to be the consumer one. Has to be the softer one. Yeah, I'm. Anyway, it's the ring. It must be the ring because everything that you buy now. Will work in a chrome cylinder, so mm-hmm. all the wise code, yeah, two R pistons, yeah, they're all made for the chrome liner because the CR and the two fifty R stuff um, or the TRX stuff was interchangeable for different years, you know, so they make it all work. You know, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not the engine guy. I don't know all of the ins and outs for it, so it's 
it's um, hard for me to answer some of those questions. Lauren is the one that handles all that stuff mm-hmm. because he really gets into it. And, uh, that's what he likes to do is, is develop engine work and pops, you know, has, has been a guiding force in helping him. So you gotta have somebody will it to make it. You know? Yeah. That's mainly what I do. They tell me what they need and then go out and shop and they do try to try to do it. Spit and little club. And- <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, Lauren's been porting cylinders for, for us when he took over Turner in, in 88, he's been dealing all the cylinders since. So all of those cylinders were all done by my brother, you know, not, not a lot of people know that. Not a lot of people even realize that because Duncan racing and Paul Turner racing were separate entities for so long. It's a public new, well, they were to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they merged, well, when Lauren bought Paul Turner, he, bought everything he got to he started pulling all the cylinders paul helped him obviously but that's how that transpired paul a paul turner part job was like having a big l 180 alcohol marine three wheeler 90 engine you had a big l engine in the three wheeler days you you know you were going to the front well you know who worked with big al a lot right uh joe phillipson yeah or you also? Dan, my uh, dad did a lot of the machining work oh, for Phillips. You said something about that Duncan racing or whatever. Well, Danny Duncan. Yeah, Danny, did, Danny's Danny, machine Danny. works. <laughs> Is that what it was? That, 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 well, that's, it, it was a play because I was doing Ricky's uh, Yamahas. And when I decided to have the business, it was Danny's machine works. <laughs> and everybody thought it was a machine shop. Well, basically it was, <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was just a play on. And uh, sleeves. Mm-hmm. Was well, I was in competition with uh, Bruce. Bruce. Yeah. And Phillipson. Joe Phillipson. He was the money guy. He was a lot of things. <laughs> you mean he, like a five-gallon can of gasoline in the campfire when you're at the desert? Uh, something like that. A GI can? Come through the shop and borrowed all the buck knives because he had a deal and he was going to replace them. I'm so, still waiting for, for sure, my knife to show up. He was also around the Yamaha shop when Rucker and uh, that uh, Well, he's the one. He must have sold uh, a lot of three-wheelers because he would do wheelies up and down in front of the shop. And everybody stand and watch him. And he wore out a set of tires, uh, just doing wheelies at the shop. But he uh, <clears throat> he had me design a bunch of stuff for Big Owls. And when we talk about Big Owls, there's two Big Owls. There's a Big Owl himself, Al Gerhardt, and then what he sold to Philipson for the name, and then they went to. Taiwan, and that's when they Chinese everything, and that's when it really yeah. Exploded. I can't remember the guy that went went to uh, Taiwan. And, it was Philipson. Yeah. No, Philipson. There was a big heavy set guy that worked for for. I don't even remember when. Anyway, I sent a bunch of stuff over there to have uh, duplicated and. I put everything in writing, the dimensions, 
but the model I sent had a flaw. Well, when I come back, it had a flaw. It had a flaw. And, uh, and at that time, Joe said, if you're going to have anything made, make the order big the first time because somebody will have copied it before you get, before you get the second order. Correct. And so I just passed because I, I didn't want to fight the, the flaw. Remember what the flaw was? About a half a degree. Uh, on the stroke of the crankshaft? Not on the crankshaft. It was, it was on, uh, uh, just the canvas rocket so okay. that you could dial a canvas rocket in really easy, which nobody seemed to do it. It worked fine when you just shove it in a hole. So we had to slot ours. Well, if you, if you wanted everything to work like it's supposed to, that's yeah. what you did. And that's what I was planning on. But yeah. You know, a stupid little thing on the little 94 strokes of the big Al motors was the points plate. Instead of replacing the points, you replace the plate, the monitor, with the points assembled on it already. And it seemed like the motor would be way different with one of those. See, those are little things that come along that made the difference at the end of the night, or the straightaway. That's when I grabbed the 110s came out that had electronic CDI. CDI, yep. Yeah. I can see that's where. We came in to it at the point deal, but right. instantly yeah. transitioned into the 185 into the, so that it was all, you didn't have points anymore. So I didn't have to master doing that, even though he would still make us work on some of the stuff that did have it in there and, and made us learn how to do it. I haven't messed with the set of points. And shit. Well, that's the best Since thing that happened take them points out of there. Yeah. Well, I think the early Hondas, the points were on a crank, and then for whatever reason, they didn't like them sparking on the exhaust truck, so they put them up on the cam. But then the early Hondas, when we started hot riding them out, you know, they, they were just plain bearings. The cam rode right in the head. There was no needle bearings. Or anything. Not like that. Folks, why you find It's very similar, so it got really super hot sometimes. The head would get you know big, and the cam would start bouncing around, and you think you're floating the valves or something. It's just that the point cap was just all over the place, and they would start shooting ducks and everything else. You wouldn't know what's wrong with them. It's just because it was getting hot, and they would wear out too. So then they started modifying the cams and the head to accept needle bearings. That was you know an evolution up in there, and then that so. What they started doing on uh, 200Xs and Kenny Hunt. Kenny Hunt. Yeah. I worked with, with Kenny quite a bit. And mm. I had uh, some problems, and he took the time to uh, to explain what was going on to mm. me. And, uh, There's a lot happening in the cam and the valve train. With the change and the fluctuations, and when you get RPMs, you get frequencies and all kinds of things going on before you get your valve harmonics. Yes, the pulsations on the cams, you know, every time it goes on the load, and there's so much that goes on in an engine that that's, that's why I like singles. <laughs> you do them fours, it's just more work because it, you got more cylinders to worry about. True. What you do when you're a youngster and you just, you know, the green weenie air cleaner or the filter on air cleaner sock you put on, <laughs> you know, and then you go to the factory and you start, you know, listening to the engineers and you realize, oh, we need an air box on that thing. We need a lid on that air box. Oh, put the silencer back on it. We'll go faster down the road. 
one mic here. He come out with a stock pipe when we were down in Mexico testing one day. Top speed with a radar gun. He goes, watch this. He puts his stock pipe on it. Out miles per hour is this pipe. Three or four or five, something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Substantial. Yeah. So in, in a 25-mile section of pavement, you know, you're talking a minute or two. Right. If it was in a drag race, it wouldn't accelerate, but then even with the same gearing. You top in and start going down. Well, they couldn't design the things to be too slow. But, you know, I mean, a lot of people just took the silencer off or put, put the yes. big old anchor silencer off and put a aluminum silencer yeah. on there. Well, the mentality was the noise is going to make it go faster. That, you know. it, same thing's happening today with the little Japanese cars and those big mufflers, you know. Yeah. Mirror makes a big pipe. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Mirror makes a big pipe. I like it. Yeah. When I lived in Mirror Mason, man, all the kids with those. We call them five-speed chainsaws on Hondas. And, and you, know, you see them in traffic, and they're making, even these Mustangs, they make all this noise, and they're not going that much faster. They're burning a lot of gas at six bucks a gallon. Uh, yeah. We hear them downshifting, and they do a 70, and they you know, like to hear it or something. That's got to be, you know, yeah. it goes back to that less sound, more ground thing. Why draw attention to yourself when you're young? Right. You know, you don't hear a guy breaking the law or speeding going down the road unless he's got a loud pipe and then you look. Right. You know? So you keep it quiet. That was that way when I was really young, too. One more thing about my, because I used to have Volkswagen on the brand, too. And my best running engines had Kenny Robin cams. <laughs> we made a good Volkswagen cam, too. But I had my Baja Bug, had that little stinger thing. Of course, there was no. You never oh, yeah. Putting the really coffee, weird. putting the coffee can on it at, at night when it would, when it would rain. It, well, my friend Larry Cocker and I, I remember we went to uh, Parker 400 in my Baja bug one year before we I raced. You know, just over to Lake Havasu and moved off. You know, had a uh, floor jack in the back so we could adjust the spring plates because they'd sack out on us. Here's a you know things you do. Well, it's like Dean Sundahl and myself. You know, going to the desert, just truck breaking. You know halfway out there and get it fixed and make it to the desert and get back home. And yeah, that is, that's how it started in our three-wheeler stuff. Was, well, I can I can remember going to the races with a dime for a phone call and entry fee. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any money, you know, <laughs> and uh, you just hope you didn't get hurt or nothing broke. Yep. But uh, I can remember the dime thing, I can remember those old coolers used to open up and a dime would get you a Pepsi or whatever. You right, the, the vertical lift up the metal thing in the glass wall. Yep. I can remember asking my dad for a dime so I could get a soda and he'd say, What do you want a dime for? So you can call all your friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get it, you know, I just was thirsty. <laughs> I remember as an adult, those, those dadisms come back. <laughs> exactly. So, how long did you stay with Honda? 81 or 87, wherever. He was with Honda from the beginning to the end. You were the you were there longer than anybody else. He was. Yeah, I guess so, if you look at it that way, yeah. Because yeah. Ace got hurt and Dean moved to Yamaha. And you and Dean, were are, are, are you still close? Or? No, I haven't seen Dean for years. I know. He says that he's going to come and sit down with me and talk with me. Uh, I'm going to have to do something about a real strong mic because he talks so soft now you can hardly hear him hmm. you know but he can sure post a lot of photos <laughs> he does on social media he's on there quite a bit 
you rode a lot with Dean at, during the transit during the time mm -hmm. you were with Honda or during your racing time. Yeah, and before Honda too. Dean actually, well, yeah, he, I remember his picture in a magazine. It was a Dean Sundahl factory Honda rider. You know, I always remember the factory. You know, next thing you know, here we are. So we all were. I had for the longest time. I don't know what happened to it, but I had a magazine. This is back the desert seat with wax on on the back of it, you know, and the picture of you guys. I don't even remember. I know you were in the picture, but I don't remember who else was. But remember the Baja Thousand, the 500s and stuff on the starting line for a few years, and everybody had a wax on seat. And I think High Flight came along with them. Yep. You had a competition in seat, CEEG or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Seat, seat came out in High Flight. And they were the seat manufacturers for till deep into the nineties somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then now there's quad tech and multiple others. Uh seat's still in business, but I don't know about high flight. There's seat concepts too. That's why I got on the KT one, they make seats. It's probably the same. My first outside sponsor was Terry Cable. They're still in business. Oh, yeah. They had great cables. I mean, time and or not, they'd still work super easy. That was the whole thing. In their machines up there, they had old red grease rags holding the levers. And, I mean, it was really antiquated machines, but they spun a lot of parts. They still do um, a pretty good business, to my knowledge. They're right up the top of the hill going up to. Yeah, they're still there, to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. and, and the young man that works in there. Uh, doesn't know as much, but he's doing his best to keep the, the, the business rolling. Uh, I don't know if they had an ownership transition or... Yeah, I don't know that. They were great cables. They were awesome. We would make them with one end and we could solder our own, make our own, or whatever you wanted to build it for you. Yeah, they're still pretty much the best custom cable. setup. Yeah. Um, the only other cable company I know of is Motion Pro, and that's all China stuff. Hmm. Pre-made fit. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, but WFO was the next sponsor, I think, to come along, and then Ram Steering Stabilizer. For I remember. I remember Ram Steering Stabilizer. And that, that was, was that was a Volkswagen steering down. <laughs> yep, that's no, all it was. Yeah, yeah it's all it was. put an extension and a heim on the end of it, make a little bracket for the different bikes, and yep. sell them. Yeah, that was yeah. forever. Now that Scotts, I guess that's a really nice one for the motorcycles. Well, it, we use we use GPRs. So yeah, they're but like a little old ones or a little shop. No, it's a uh, a gosh, they like, they have a special. It's like a radio uh, an arm, mm -hmm. and it just works on oil flow in there. And as you turn the it's like a door closer, yeah, as you turn the valve up, it's harder and softer. Um, I've been with Randy since eighty nine. <laughs> or 98 when they brought the first one over and handed it to me for Doug Eichner and put it on the 400EX and uh, been using them ever since. At first, you kind of don't like them, but they really do on a four-wheeler. Three-wheeler, they kind of neat. Yeah, the four-wheeler stuff with as wide a front end, you know, because we're 50 inches wide now, you know, long travel, and the, you know, the wheels are all over the place. You have to run a steering damper. Well, you don't have to, but, you know, if you want to go fast and not get tired, you do. Mm -hmm. 
it's just evolution of the industry. I was thinking I needed one or one or one on my motorcycle the other day. And I realized, oh, Mike, I think Mike's on. Check your tire pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, you know. When we were in the, when I was working in the motorcycle shop, one of the first things we would do is check the air, the air pressure because if they were low and you put them at the right pressure, it made them, the bike, just a hundred percent better, you know, and everybody think, Oh God, what did you do? We're just done what you were supposed to do, you know, but, uh, it, it was amazing how many guys would come in with so low a pressure. It's, it's amazing that they had any control at all, you know, but, uh, my racing started long before yours. <laughs> and when, uh, the first bike I got was a dot and the air cleaner on it was like chore girl was brass shavings, you know, just to oh, keep the yeah. rocks out. Right. Like a Brillo pad. Yeah. Like a Brillo pad in there, you know, and it would keep the, the big crunchy stuff. I out. think I had, that's what I had in my whole taco. Well, anyway, I went through several pistons and being young and dumb, I didn't didn't put the two together. And then when I got a, a BSA that was quite a bit better, uh, same thing happened. And I well, got to do something about it. So I went down and bought a, a big Fram tube and then made me a, a deal duct tape and everything. And, and amazingly, I got more than one race of piston. <laughs> but uh, after that, I figured I got to have good air cleaners on everything. So there was a difference between a three wheeler and a motocross bike in the two fifties, two stroke stuff with Honda at least. Um, pushing all the frontal air with the, the wider machine than the motorcycle, compression ratios were real critical to not hold, putting a hole on the top of the piston and to really be on top of your cranking, cold cranking pressure. Made all the difference in the world to survive or burn up. I know when we were in Honda, we were sponsored by KM. Mm -hmm. The same thing, and those KM flip flippers suck so much to I raced with both of those guys. Yeah. I didn't have a problem. I like KM. Dude, that's all we use now. They flow good. That's all we use. You hold them up to the light, you can see right through them. Yeah, but they still filter. You gotta have like a longer, you gotta have like a foam over it or something. There's there's schools of thought. We could get into a deep dive into a conversation on air filters, but and we just ran them open and it gets so dirty. And then, but we didn't matter because you had to access the. We always had two or three freshly ported cylinders standing right. ready to go. But when your dad reminded me that I could remember, it's like after a race or two, man, you had to board to the first over because it's the thing that sucked. Sometimes yeah, because you guys didn't maintain anything. You just wrote well, it. No, no, we maintained it. If, had, if you were paying the bill, you would have maintained better. We had to maintain our own stuff. We didn't have mechanics yet. So in that time frame, 81, 82, probably we didn't get a lot of help until the middle of 84. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, like after a saddleback run, just... Brand new because we had unlimited amount of filters, so you could always put a brand new one on there. But like after a race, you take that filter off and you see thick and dirt in your carburetor. Yeah, because you didn't put enough oil on it. 
They were already oiled. No, they weren't oiled. That's the, that's the key. They say they're oiled, but they're not. We, we oiled them. We had all the cleaner and sprays and everything. There was plenty of oil on them. They, they just still sucked dirt. Now, maybe the yeah, technology's way better now. They, because well, they were, supposedly, they look better when they load up a little bit, too. Which that's possible. Maybe I shouldn't left the dirty in order to work better. Then we put a lid on our air cleaner that had the can in filter yeah. on top of the lid. No, I mean, and they make them. I mean, I know they flow more, but I think they suck dirt. But it's just like everything, you know. Hot Rod Garage showed K&N filters on the dyno on a V8 engine, you know. But one was the filter in the top and all that. That was the one that worked the best. Yeah, airflow is optimal. But right. But protection is important, too. You know, like apparel. You know, I had CD's boot sponsor. And then give me boots and boots, but you know, you got to break them in. You give the photo in the magazine, you can't wear a brand new pair of boots all the time because you can't shift or use your Yeah. See, how did you, how did you guys break your boots in back then? Because I know that the old school boot was way less rider friendly than today. I'd soak mine in water sometimes and walk in until they dry out and they're good to go. That's exactly what I always was That's taught always to That's always old school. Everybody did that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fill them full of warm water, put your feet in them. But mine, at the time, I did in, in a condo, we had a jacuzzi, and I just put them on and go <laughs> Until we got the white boots, and then it was like my clean. I never had any white ones. Then had gaiters, too. You had gaiters to cover. That was what really helped, because then you could wear your broken boots and just cover them up. The oh, new gaiter, right. <laughs> How long were those in fashion? For a couple of years, right? Uh, well, probably 84, maybe 85 to 87. I didn't wear them a whole lot because my boots sponsored you know, they wanted to be seeing that more CD boots. Marcus. I wore JT stuff. Another thing with John Gregory that owns JT Racing, he's the first one to import twin air filters too, which now it's a pretty big company. You're doing something different. Right. I don't, he's not involved, but remember back in the 74 era, you know, we had twin air filters too. I didn't even know twin air was around that long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Alan Green up at the Nobby shop, he was a rental guy. So we got all our rental bars. Well, remember the Navi shop is under the bridge on I remember the decals for that. Yeah. I used to ride my three-wheeler from Spring Valley, or not from Spring Valley, but from Lakeside. I grew up when I was going to El Cap all the way to the Navi shop. I had to cross one street, which wasn't even the 15 wasn't done, so you had to cross the 395. There was a blinking light there with the Miramar Boulevard on the kind of halfway because there was no 805. We had to cross the 395 and went over all the hills past the Navy base and then could ride all the way to the hobby shop. In fact, it's the Sereno Preserve. Remember, there's like a waterfall in there, and you probably hiked in there with the kids. Probably. With everybody in Jeeps and bikes. It was only a couple, maybe a mile or two from uh, the hobby shop. You uh. get in there and you don't get a soda. One my buddies lost a master lake out in the hills, out in Sycamore. And I rode all over the hobby shop, got a master lake, and came back and put the thing back on the dirt, get it going. They raced in power, too. AMA district, I was thinking. Yeah. That's when Big Al worked for Honolulu Grove. And Dallas Martinson owned Honda at the time, where that dealership had a champion frame, something or another, 250 single or whatever it was. That's what I remember Big Al from. Bill Silverthorne. He was a hero in Baja. 
Dill, so it'll turn. It's a time. Yeah. Um, didn't you race flat track with us up there at uh, Comp yeah. Park? Yeah, he, that was kind of the end of his career when he raced up there. Yeah, we used to race flat track up there at Competition Park. Um, and he would come out and ride every once in a while. You know, I don't, I don't, I remember seeing him when I was a young kid. And when I seen him when he was older, looked like the same guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, whatever he was drinking, he just kept drinking it because he didn't look like he aged. Uh, and then we seen him not too long ago and he was, you could definitely say he caught up to him in a big hurry. Yeah, you know? he was pretty fast in District 38, too. Well, he was like one of those Whitey Martino guys yeah. out in the desert on any Sunday. You know, he was just gone down in Baja and stuff, too. The talent, the talent pool of motorcycle riders that transitioned or the, the talent pool of riders that we had from the 60s, 70s, 80s in Southern California and some into the 90s is incredible. I think it has a lot to do with land use. Yep. You know, maybe if you go 10 minutes away and then you could ride, ride, ride all you wanted. I race right up the freeway uh, just before you get into Alpine. There was a track there. Okay. And then Live Oak Springs was another one up the hill a little further. That was an AMA motocross field. Yeah. In the hot summer, you're riding in, in through the trees and the little creek and stuff. That was they had that. the race track uh, yeah. up there with the San Diego Country Estates. They called it Four Corners. Four so, Corners. That had the red dirt. Yeah. That stained your jerseys and stuff. It was like, was it that Sedona. close? Yeah. That's when the House of Honda was around. Billy Urban and uh, yeah. Robbie Norgard and William Pena and those guys were riding CZs back then. My next door neighbor, like I said, he had a DT1. And he had some knobby tires on it and raced it at Four Corners. Yeah, and didn't was, we race at Four Corners? Probably. We raced at Four Corners. Yeah, that was, that was cool. That's all San Diego Country Estates. Now it's all home. Yeah. Verona was just, they had a tent out there at the corner of the dip, the big road, long before they had a, I mean, the casino, they were doing bingo stuff. Right. Drive up Wildcat Canyon Road every Sunday morning, you know. Yeah. Nervous butterflies. I couldn't remember <laughs> leaving money up there all the time. So. <laughs> My my wife liked uh, like that, like the casino. Yep. Yeah, we it was in a tent. <laughs> we used to race. We used to race. They had the motorcycle track when we were kids. CMMC still there. Yep. It's just not now. It's everything. Yeah. I don't even know how many races they have up there. I forget who was with me, Dean. Somebody else, but we went and met up on Verona before there was any racetrack at Verona. And uh, met the chief. He come riding his horse up over the hill or whatever, and started mapping out, you know, walking the land up there where they got the racetrack. I don't know if it's right where it is now, and I haven't been to the where it's really full on track. But uh, it's involved in the layout of that first Verona racetrack. But there was the white Mesa, I think his name was Wetzel or something like that. Yeah, and, and he kind of ran it for the Indians back then. Right. And that's the. That's the track that was up on top of the hill, not right. the motorcycle track. Yeah. yeah, it's still in the same place. I don't think they have um, more of an ATV style deal. They have a drag strip there now. We've got a quarter mile. Over. That's what got. Yeah, yeah, because we raced track. we raced motorcycles up there. But some of the old three wheeler motocross track is still you can still see some remnants of it there. Back in back in the nineties when. I actually promoted for one season they had ATVs almost on one sixth mile over. And they had ATV races. I think you came to some of those. 
I believe I did. You were helping a kid that went into the Border Patrol. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he was driving for you guys at the time. Sam was racing his pants, you won that at racing place. Yeah, okay, I remember that. Yep. Yeah, we went up there yeah. a, a few times. My, I formatted them just like the car, so they, they all went out for their two or three lap qualifying, yep. and then they would, you know, it had a rolling start, and it was never really like that. Rex, it was, it was, it was a lot I fun. liked it because it was similar to what they were doing. It wasn't a mass start. It was, you know, two by two by just like the yep. cars. And that's the way that's the way that style of racing should go. Yeah. My son-in-law goes up there and races. He has a car that goes up there and races. Yeah. Um, Modifier or something. I you know what? I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't even it, I see it in I see it in the garage. Yeah, okay. You know. Uh I'm not uh, I've never been really into cars, so it's not something that excites me. You Sam know. for Probably three or four years built a lot of Chevy V8s for a number of those circuit track guys, playing with different ball and stroke combinations, whatever. It seemed to be the happy combination at the time. But that was, like I said, when they first moved the quarter mile up there. And it's just, you know, modifieds. And uh, then we were doing those motorcycle powered mini sprints, I think they call them. It, what were those freaking cars with the remember Scribolito used to freaking race dwarf, the dwarf, car. dwarf cars? Yeah, they still do those dwarf cars. Uh, they're bigger, they're, they're they may moved kind of east, mm -hmm. so they race more of them in, in, in the east. But uh, Scrib was doing a lot of people were doing it, even with, uh, the guy that built those off road chassis. His son was uh, racing, he was doing it a lot. He won a lot of races up there. Um, yeah, dwarf dwarf cars. Never, never got the concept, but they were cool. They were popular too, man. That's yeah, I don't know how many inline motorcycle engines Sam was always. That's where Cali kept his doors open, building Suzuki and Yamaha four motorcycle engines that you know some for the dwarf car group. Military guys would wad up their their street bikes on the weekends, and you know. Those engines were dime a dozen, and the dwarf car and the mini sprint guys would buy them up, and that's what they used for time. That's but you know, way to, you got to do whatever you got to do to stay in business. Towards the end, when the motorcycle engines started drying up, they didn't have enough to go around. Right, they started getting prices were starting to go up, and then people would have to start rebuilding them. And forget which one of them, Suzuki. One of them just the trainings weren't strong enough, so there was one brand that everybody was you know sought out. Right, I think it was a Kawasaki one. Kawasaki, yeah. Because I remember a, a lot of them ran the Cowies, yeah. you know. And uh, Scribolito moved back to Texas. Texas. And he then, got a bad wreck, I think. Yeah, unfortunately. I think something else happened. He passed away. He did pass away. Yeah. It was complications to his wreck. Yeah. yeah. And he helped sponsor us when we went to Pikes Peak, too. That was pretty cool. He helped us. He's a good guy, too. He was a big dude. He was. I mean, he's big, big, tall guy. Happy go lucky though, man. He always had a smile. On well, I remember, <laughs> I remember the first time meeting him, standing in there at the boring bar, and Dad's teaching him how to bore cylinders. You yeah. know, no doubt. So I mean, it's the 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 circle that we run with everybody knowing of, or you know, it overlaps because. Yeah. You may not know this person, but you know that person and that person that knows him. And, and you're doing things with each other. And you don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And where we live, it's a hotbed of all kinds of activity in the Rocky. It's not like back east where they, well, where do you go get a chain or your bike at, you know? It, it, you know, in some cases, it's it, everything's stretched out. Between here and Los Angeles, I mean, we can get, make, have whatever we want done, you know? Oh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, there's, there's an amazing now. amount of talent just in uh, San Diego County. County. Well, the motorcycles, look at all the champions that came from so in San Diego. Yeah. Well, just San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, there's all kinds of uh, champions. Yeah, we were the three yeah. capital for a while there. Yeah, I think there, when we were racing at, for Honda, I think it was 83 or 84, um, Lemon Grove Honda sold more three-wheelers than anybody in the nation. I believe that. And also they were selling way more three-wheelers than two-wheel machines oh, yeah, combined. by far. You know, and then what happened is, is they transitioned into four-wheelers, and because it was a four-wheel drive and a sport quad, the four-wheelers were selling more and making Honda more money than the dirt bikes, but the but the four-wheeler guys weren't getting the, the money. They right. weren't sponsoring. They never they never they brought... The factory backing. Uh, they did at a later date, but they never, they never stuck to it. Like right now, they stopped making... TRX 450Rs and 14, you know, Yamaha is killing it. You know, they they have a great platform. Um, and it's strong. It's durable. The transmission's made for being an ATV. It makes good power. And the hybrid industry where they put um, motorcycle engines in them, most everybody uses Honda engines. But that, when you go to the production rule bike, the Yamaha is what you run on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. if you're going to woods race or you're going to race motocross, you run the Yamaha. If you're going to run in the desert, generally you run a Honda. You're still you're still a Honda platform in the desert or in the off-road environment is still the best platform. That was a lot of fun riding in the woods back east on the 350X. Dead engine starts and line up, you know, land rush style and kick it when the flag goes. Yeah, they still... They still run them that way for the for the yeah, XC stuff. Yeah, hand on your helmet. That's why you did that one. And on the old CZ. That's, that's the way they started the bikes for a while. It, Alcohol Speedway we were talking about. Yeah, well, I had a slick shift. So I would say they had just, a cheater clutch, a lever. On well, the, you just hold your foot down. When the flag goes, you got your hand up, you just grab the bar and you're gone. Yeah. But uh, on the CVs, we used to have a, a lever you could hold with your ankle. It was a clutch lever. Yeah. So you'd hold it in, you'd do your thing up here and just take off. You know? <laughs> Look, when they just put your hand up, it's guys, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we had a rubber band start, too, probably. Yeah. I got snapped to that rubber band a few times. <laughs> you know, going back to what Mark said, um, you know, when we were at Honda, Honda set aside millions of dollars for road race, motocross, and road and flat track but our budget always came from sales because you look at there's some data that showed that Honda three wheeler sales were big you know they sold more three wheelers than cycle and motorcycle dirt bikes combined by a good margin yeah it's money and engineering went into the motorcycle yeah right now it went to the uh, jet airplane and those uh, robots that do yeah do they do robots too yeah oh yeah they're big on the like Looks like a humanoid robot. It's, it's uh, Asmo or something they call it. Or something. Asimo or something. Yeah. But it's used 
all over, you know, and, and, and mm. for trade shows. Walking and talking robot. Uh, I'm scared. Uh, I'm you should scared. see when you get a little time. Look at these uh, robot uh, videos. You'll be these guys backflips now. They carry guns. They got guys behind them, like knocking them down. They got live ammo guns, and they're shooting targets. And yeah, impressive. Well, Elon Musk wants to put a chip in our brain or transfer our thought into a robot or our our our, our mind power into a robot. So look out! Here, here we come. Wow. So, Dad, are you ready for your consciousness to be loaded into a robot? Well, we're in a bit of hurry. At my age, there's uh, not a whole lot there. Well, you, you never know. Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming and sitting down with me. It, I, would, I would love to do this again um, if you're up for it. Uh, because we didn't even touch on all the stories and all the things that there are to talk about. And uh, if you guys are into it, we could schedule another one and have you guys sit down and then uh, we can build on what we've talked about. And, and sure, I'm sure there's ready. more stories and more things that. Uh, well, one story leads you to another that you forgot. You know? yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, some of the things that I remember as a, an outsider kid that you were talking about, you know, I remember looking at the magazine or seeing the poster and just freaking, oh, you know. So for me, I, it's a fanboy moment because when I was growing up, you know, you guys were the guys. So you grew up in your sand? No, I didn't. Well, I misspoke. When I was younger, you know, an adolescent, um, well, maybe I still am, but, you know, I still play with, with kids' toys for a living, so I don't think I'm ever going to grow up. No, you don't want to. Yeah, yeah grown-ups are no fun. Through. You have to have responsibility. Well, I have that, but, you know, I, I love I love building ATVs, and um, that's that's my thing. You know, I've done a little bit of ATV racing, three-wheeler racing. Motorcycles. I kind of love coming here and talking to you. I'm glad Mark showed up too because I get a lot of inquiries. We posted a few things on social media. We've been on a couple of motorcycle rides. Wherever I go, most of it's ATV well, related. Hey, how's Mark? How's Mark doing? Well, Mark, to be totally honest with you, your name with a couple other names in my feedback that I get from people, they want to know. They want to hear your stories. They want to, you know, hey, whatever happened to, to Wax? You know, I mean, what about this? What about that? I can't answer those questions because it's not uh, until tonight I had met you face to face. So um, now I can put you out there and your fans can hear it. And I guarantee you <laughs> I'm going to get massive people asking for more because there's so many more stories. Well, I saw this and I saw that and I remember this and I remember that. And and that's that's basically how this all started was nobody's ever telling nobody's ever telling the story. There's no information, there's nowhere I can go to get the stories out of his head or out of his head or out of your head. Um there's no place I can Go right. Well, we didn't have internet when we started, or some of this. So, uh, well, that's where this podcast came from. It's all based on wanting to talk to people in the industry. Yes, I talked to modern day. Like earlier today, I spoke to Chad Wien, eight-time national motocross champion. But 
those are the guys of today, but the stories that he tells will roll off into the future, you know, but the stories that you guys tell, it's the foundation of our industry and it's where it all began. And that's, that's what I want to get out. I want to extract those, those things that the kids can hear so that they understand that No, they did. You didn't just because you did that big double. You didn't build the industry. This is how the industry was built. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, Mark is definitely a pioneer. And you have strong memories of going to the races and thinking, man, that guy hauls ass. And uh, I was lucky enough to ride with him. I remember we mentioned a few I, races. I, I remember him as a lot taller and slender, though. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you look at the photos, beans that I'm looking up at the age that I was. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were a giant. Hmm. You know, no, just me. But, well, yeah, I, I get it. You probably got that old picture of. I think it was probably the first team. I mean, we're still doing. Oh, with like a shirt like that, almost for a long yeah, time. We were all six of us, and McCoy was sitting with a banner behind us yeah. on him. That was. I remember that photo, but the I'm talking about the photo that I remember mostly was a was a was a four wheeler photo. Oh. So it was probably an 86 version. It was a desert race photo. Um, you know, you could see the wax on in the seat and he was standing behind the bike. Uh, and it, it might have had two machines together. I don't remember who the other person was. But it, no, it was, a, it was another rider. But I, I mean, I just remember that because... I mean, that's, that's just the things that you remember when you're a kid. There's just specific memories that you have. You know, the 83, 84, 250R, who was the guy on that? That was Dean, you know, with his freaking ass dragging on his video and his heel. He did 82. His is an 80. The, the one poster I had was 83. That was me on 83. No, it was Dean. The one that I had was was Dean. Yeah, no, I don't have it anymore. It was in his, it was hanging in, it was hanging in Danny's machine work forever. It was uh, the poster boy of going sideways. Yeah, this is one of those ones where sprint car style. his heels freaking holding him on the seat, you know. He's, he's, you know. He, he's, his body was built perfect for that, the way he could hang off the three longer. Yeah. Everybody, short legs. Everybody tried to emulate that, you know, everybody. He was the first one to come up with the, uh, golf cart tires or whatever we use in those movies that I know of anyway. I talked to uh, Jim Babbitt and Turf Savers, Carlisle's. Yeah, Turf Tamers. And uh and they had those they also had the slick version of it, which is the which is the lawnmower tire. Mm -hmm. Uh and I was speaking to Jim Babbitt and he said he remembers when they were when he was racing at 117 and they raced with the big balloon tires and then immediately they had the hard little go-kart tires. And at the same time, that's when um, Mitchell Wheel came out with the aluminum wheels. Right. And that was at the time the coolest thing in the world. Here we got, cat, you know, spun aluminum rims. You know, yep. we all two pieces. Yeah, but, but still, it was aluminum <laughs> polished wheels. Well, so. I'm old enough to have to had to have fixed a lot of those two-piece wheels. You know, I hated that. Yeah, Thanks, Dad. I hated that time. You know, so we I, I glad I found something you like. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, we're going to wrap it up here tonight, and and I would just like to invite you back, and we'll set up a, a, a time when it's good for everybody. 
The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.